Hi everyone, and welcome back to Craft With Me, a VIP Productions podcast, and the show where we all learn to write because the world, especially right now, is in desperate need of good stories that inspire people to do good things. We're continuing with Pimp My Fiction by Paula Wynn, a great reference book because it has so many other books in it written by so many other people on all the essentials of writing a novel from character creation to story structure and everything in between. Before we get into today's section, which is going to be on the first few pages of a book and why they're so important, I just want to say thank you all for the support, for helping to get our podcast out there. This is the first VIP Productions podcast, and it means a lot that everyone listening has been so helpful, so forthcoming in their comments, and so supportive of our efforts. So a hearty thank you, and because of that, because of your support, we're going to be able to continue to grow, add more episodes, and keep putting forward great content. So thanks so much for that. And let's get into the meat of the episode. So today we're skipping to the section on the first pages of a novel. The opening of a book is important for a few reasons. Obviously, you want to hook your reader. You want to give the reader every reason to keep turning the page, not to put the book down. Yes, in a traditional bookstore setting, once they bought the book, they bought the book. And you might be thinking, well, I already made money. Why do I care if they keep reading it? Because your name is on that. If your name is on something, my personal belief, it should be the best thing you can possibly make. Doesn't always mean everyone's going to think it's the best thing that you've ever done. But if your name is on something, you should have some pride about it. You shouldn't be deceiving people into buying something, especially something like a book, just so they can pick it up and it sucks. You're not going to be making a lot of progress as an author that way. You're definitely not going to be maintaining a fan base that way. Also, you might not even get published. Literary agents and editors judge those first pages just as, if not more strictly, than commercial readers do. With the idea that if they're not interested, a reader's not going to be interested. So developing that hook, putting the conflicts in those first pages, building suspense, getting people on the roller coaster to stay is all really important in those first pages. It's one of the most important things you can learn to do effectively as a novelist. So let's go through some of the tips mentioned in this segment for how we can make those first pages really stand out. The first thing is know when to write the first pages. If you're a discovery writer, this is going to be something that you can ignore or fast forward through. I am kind of a discovery writer, but you'll want to come back to it when you do rewrites. When you put together your first pages for everybody else, you shouldn't do it until after you have your plot and your structure. Whether you've put it on a story circle, whether you've made a three or five act structure, or whatever else you've used, you should have it plotted out. You should know especially how it ends. There's a great quote in this section of the book by Joyce Carol Oates, which says, 
The first sentence can't be written until the final sentence is written. And there's so much truth in that. You need to know how the book ends if you're going to have any idea of how the book starts. And that can only be done through structure and plotting. Whether it's on the page or in your head, you need to know how it ends so that you can know how it starts. It's just that simple because everything important in the book needs to be introduced up front. You can't have a central conflict only slow played 150 pages in and expect the reader to be with you on page 150. In most cases, that's not going to happen. I'm not saying you can't have unexpected twists or things that the reader only sees coming right before they happen or anything like that. What I'm saying is the essential building blocks of the plot, the essential characters of the story, the essential conflicts, all of that needs to be in those first pages. No exceptions ever. The second rule about the first pages is nothing extraneous. You could say in general that's the rule about a novel. If a scene doesn't work, get rid of it. If it doesn't involve the characters that need to be there, get rid of it. If it isn't essential to the story, get rid of it. If you've ever done like a soapbox derby, think of it that way. Not just your book overall, but especially the first 50 pages as said in Pimp My Fiction, the first pages in general. It's really super important that everything there serve a purpose that is needed. Uh, soapbox derby car, obviously, if you're designing it, it's pretty much no frills. Same thing with these first pages. You can add stuff later if it's needed and important. But the first pages of the book, especially, have to be only what's needed. You are not going to get a second chance if you screw that up. What does this mean from a mechanical standpoint? It means no passive language as much as possible unless the genre you're writing or the tone of the piece in general is like that. But for the most part, no slow playing with language, no extraneous words or phrases. Make sure the copy is very clean and to the point. Of course, you're going to say, Gil, that should be the whole book. Yes, but in the first pages, you have to go through every paragraph and you have to ask yourself, do I need to put this in the first chapter? Or can I put it in the next chapter? Or the third chapter? Or in the middle of the book? In other words, you're going to get to a point where you've edited it down, you're looking at it, you're going, well, all of this is super important to the book. I don't have anything I can cut. What can I do to make these first pages better? And that's when you're going to have to go paragraph by paragraph and ask yourself, does this need to be in chapter one or can be in chapter 23? If you're writing a vampire story, first of all, why? But if you're writing a vampire, no, I'm kidding. I, I have no ill will towards vampire stories, despite what Hollywood and certain authors have done to corrupt many people's 
views of the genre. But let's say you're writing a vampire story, and say that the central conflict in the book is that Vampire A and Vampire B are competing in a kill count contest that's being judged by their vampire fraternity, and the book opens, and there's only three days left, and they're tied. So everything is on the line. Top this all off with they're competing over the same vampire girlfriend, because you have to have something like that in there, right? That's just what the genre is now. But in a serious note, anything that's not that, you don't need. Does it really matter in the very first chapter that the vampire that Vampire A is competing against is developing a blood allergy that's an extremely rare condition that is going to make it harder for him to compete and bring up all sorts of stuff in the story? Is that necessary in the first few pages? Maybe, but probably not. Are plot twists necessary in the first pages of a book? No, you're just starting out. You're not twisting anything yet. There's nothing to twist. What you need to do is lay down the essential conflict and then hook the reader into it. Make it interesting. Don't have there be extraneous sentences and paragraphs that ramble on. World building is one of the biggest problems, especially in fantasy books or historical fiction books that are written from a voice that's supposed to be a couple hundred years in the past, where there's just pages sometimes, definitely paragraphs and sometimes pages of what the world is like. It's not needed in those first pages of the book. It's slow and will kill the momentum, so put it somewhere else. It may seem to you like it's essential, but is it really? If an element of the world is not absolutely essential to the central conflict or the central characters, it shouldn't be in the first few pages of the book. You have the rest of the book to tease out the world through dialogue, through the actions of the characters, short, sweet setting descriptions, all of that. You don't need to do it in the first couple of pages. Another tip, very closely related to that, do not overwhelm the reader in those first pages. Overwhelming the reader doesn't just mean throwing too much stuff their way. It means clouding the signal they get when they read. Think of a radio signal that goes to the radio in your car and you turn it to a certain frequency and there's a lot of static. You can't hear the song or the stupid talk show or the wacky morning show and now you're angry. That's how the reader's going to feel if they get confused and they've just started reading your book. So if you get chapter one out there and you're looking for critiques or you're looking for opinions from beta readers or just from friends and the opinion you get is, I don't really know what's happening or something like that, there's a really good chance there's just too much stuff in those first pages. You really got to boil it down to Vampire A, Vampire B, central conflict, and that's it. Everything else can be woven in. 
you can add the world building through dialogue between the characters. Just two or three short lines about those parts of the world that are really important to the plot. You can throw a Chekhov's gun in the first few pages if you want, you know? Um, stuff like that. But it has to be stuff that matters. So now that we've covered what we want in there, let's tease out what we don't want in there a little more. Because not putting an info dump in the first few pages is not just automatically going to make them better. What else do we not want? Speaking as a reader and an amateur author, we don't want all the characters. We don't want 83 million characters showing up in the first three pages of the book, all of whom have a backstory and all of whom are doing the stereotypical looking at themselves in the mirror so that they can be described and then sitting on the bed and thinking about their backstory. And if you want to shoot yourself at this point, I don't blame you because that is how I feel whenever I see that. It's slow and uninteresting and it's not a sitcom. I don't need to know all of the characters in the first 10 pages of the book. They don't need to all walk through the living room with a laugh track and make a joke and grab something out of the fridge and go to the job that they hate so they can come back in the evening and eat pizza and then there's more laugh tracks and CBS puts it on the air and it's a best-selling show and no one can really figure out why. We don't need that. What we need is just one or two characters. The protagonist, the antagonist. The very bare-bones basic of their backstory. What we don't need, second thing we don't need, too much backstory. Don't need to know about their lives in detail up to this point in most cases. We'll see this a lot in classic literature. And yes, the books are classics, but it has been a couple hundred years. And sometimes something is a classic for reasons other than it being well-written. It may not even be well-written. It might have just been the first of its kind, of a specific genre. So it's a classic. Don't take writing advice exclusively from classic novels. Don't let backstory go on and on and on and on. If you have read any of the Three Musketeers books. They're classics. I love all 20 of those books. The thing about them is they were published as serials in newspapers when Dumas published them back in the 19th century, and so a lot of backstory was required because it was assumed that most people hadn't read or had forgotten about it. But when people read the books now, they see all this backstory and they go, wow, this is a really famous book that I learned about in fourth grade, so it's got to be great. No. Don't add extraneous backstory. Don't do it. Save it for later. If the reader does not need to know about it yet, don't do it. Third thing not to do. Don't leave things in the first pages that don't build suspense. To rephrase that in a way that doesn't use a double negative, confuse all of us, and make me sound stupid, don't leave things that aren't working for your story hanging. What I mean by that is, more so than just extraneous language, you can have beautiful prose that's essential to the story, but still isn't doing anything. 
in the moment. Uh, going back to Chekhov's gun, you can have a literal gun on the table that a character uses to kill the other character in the middle of a fight in the last chapter, but doesn't do anything for the first chapter and isn't essential for 80 pages. Why are you mentioning the gun now? It doesn't matter yet. Something that matters in the end may not matter yet in the beginning. So if it doesn't matter in the beginning, even if it's great, even if it's essential for the end of the story, you don't need it. Here's what you replace that with. Details that build suspense based on that primary conflict. Sensory details are great for this because, again, they let you slip in some backdoor world building by describing what something smells like when Vampire A walks past the dumpster or something. It doesn't have to be more than half a sentence, but say that dumpsters are hugely important because both of these vampires' day jobs, night jobs, are in waste management. And that's where all the vampires from this particular vampire college go to because of systemic discrimination in society against vampires. These are the few jobs they have. Yada, yada, yada. Waste management is the only way that these guys can communicate civilly without hating each other. So there's a lot of small talk about garbage that has hidden meanings about their lives, their love lives, whatever. You don't have to mention that in two paragraphs. You don't have to mention that in the rambling sentence that I just gave. One sentence. Vampire A hurried past the dumpster, smelled like crap, reminded he had to go to work, felt like crap. Done. Now you've given a lot of backstory that is actually important to the beginning of the story. Because, say, the beginning of the story is a Monday morning. Whatever the case, you can make it important to the beginning of the story. Half a sentence. That's all it needs. Reader gets the information they need to know for the beginning, and it adds to the conflict. Don't let it draw out to two paragraphs. In the same way, don't include details that are unneeded. If the vampire doesn't work in garbage collection, then don't have him walking by a dumpster. Have the vampire walking by an essential symbol that's going to be used at the end of the book, but also that's going to be used in the beginning of the book, and that's part of the central conflict. So suddenly you're noticing the list of things you can actually put in those first pages that's going to make a difference is way shorter than you thought when you started. And that's okay. That's okay. That's what it's supposed to be. That makes writing those first pages a lot easier. And I guess last, whatever you do, don't be boring. Even if you make some of these other quote-unquote mistakes, just don't be boring about it. Have the conflict in there. Have everybody moving forward. Have the character arcs starting. Don't waste extra pages on a character in stasis. And the first pages will be pretty good. Follow the other rules we brought up in this episode, and the first pages of your novel will be great. Editors will tolerate them. Agents will like them. Readers will love them. You will develop a fan base, etc. Or at least you'll have five great pages. So thanks so much once again for tuning in to Craft with me. 
I really like doing these episodes. I really like that you all like these episodes and that there's a lot of support for what we're doing. Follow us on Twitter. We tweet relatively frequently, once every couple of days or so. Whenever there's an episode coming out, we'll put it out there. If you want to send us answers to any of the prompt exercises that we've seen so far on this show, you can do so by sending us an email at vippodcasts at gmail.com, and with your permission, we might just read your prompt response on the air. Thanks so much, happy writing, and we'll see you next time.